Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on this episode of The Box of Oddities, a bloody curse from a dead king, and how one man saved millions of lives using just his body fluids. The Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we talk about it. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Welcome to the latest edition of uh, JG Does Weird Things. Um, <laughs> in the last episode, I talked a little bit about, uh, well, we, we talked about how I kind of freaked out when you took the paintings off the wall, getting yeah. getting ready to move. You, uh, you packed paintings and it freaked me out because I wasn't expecting it. I then unpacked them and put them back on the wall and you were like, you didn't, you didn't have to do that. I was so happy that you did though. Yeah. Jasmine sent us an email. We're doing updates to our house before we move and put it on the market. Recently, I removed photos from the wall so we could paint. My husband was not happy about it, and I asked him, what? Do you want me to paint around them? He doesn't handle removing keepsakes, photos, etc. for storage very well. Most of the packing I do while he's at work. Mm. Love the podcast. Can't wait to hear more about your new upcoming adventure in Ecuador. So that got me thinking a little bit. What other strange little quirks do I have? (laughs) Do we have time? (laughs) Well, I know. I'm making a conscious effort to uh, recognize them when I do them. Okay. And here's one I recognized yesterday. I hate it when I get food on the handle of a utensil Mm. while I'm making something to eat. Uh, Like if I'm making a peanut butter sandwich, which by the way, I'm excellent at. And the peanut butter is, the supply is getting low. So you've got to put the knife all the way in there. Yeah, and then I get some peanut butter on the handle. Yep. I just throw the knife away and start (laughs) over again. But last night, I was having about, I think, my third bowl of cereal. Uh, There's a rule we have in the house. It's the cereal to milk ratio. Right. If uh, you have milk left over after you eat your cereal, then you need to go... Add more cereal. Yeah, finish it up. And then if if there's not quite enough milk for the amount... Yeah, it's an ongoing process. I hate it when I leave the spoon in the bowl while I'm refilling it 
and then I put milk in it and I get milk on the handle of the spoon. Mm. When I pick it up, then the milk drips down on my fingers. Oh gosh, no, it's almost as bad as when I wash my face and water drips down my arms. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I hate that. Oh, I hate it. I was cleaning out the coffee pot, the uh, French press we have, and I got coffee grounds under my under my wedding band. No. I hated that. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep you updated on more weird things that I do as I discover them on my journey of self-exploration. A few episodes ago, I was talking about the eyewitness account of King Louis XIV's execution. The executioner actually gave an account of it. The executioner, Charles-Henri Sanson. Oh my goodness. That was very well done. So sassy. He described the procession from the temple prison up to the guillotine. Uh, as Louis approached the guillotine, I'm just going to recap this in case you missed the episode. Louis XIV reportedly remained calm and composed, addressed the crowd in his final words where I die innocent of all the crimes laid to my charge. I pardon those who have occasioned my death, and I pray to God that the blood you are about to shed may never be visited upon France. We're going to talk about the blood that he shed and the curse that surrounds it. Just to get everybody up to speed, it was August 1792. A group of radical revolutionaries stormed the palace in uh, Paris where the royal family was residing and arrested the king and the queen. They were taken to the temple prison and held there for several months while the revolutionaries consolidated their power. On January 21st, 1793, uh, Louis XIV was executed in front of a large crowd of onlookers in the event was a somber and solemn occasion with many in the crowd expressing sympathy and sadness for the fallen king. Louis XIV's uh, reign was plagued with economic crisis and political unrest and led to the French Revolution in 1789. The revolutionaries accused the king of conspiring against the people and declared him guilty of high treason. He was tried and convicted, sentenced to death, and executed on that day, January 21st, 1793. His execution was a public spectacle with tens of thousands of people gathered to watch. The guillotine, which had been invented just a few years prior to this, was, was used for the first time in a public execution. The blood of Louis XIV, after he was executed, his body was immediately removed from the scaffold. His head was lifted up and shown to the crowd. And a physician named Philippe Jean Peloton. Peloton? Was he big into spin? It's kind of spelled like that. He was present at the execution and offered to collect the king's blood in a glass jar. Peloton supposedly gave the jar to a family friend who passed it down through several generations. Over time, the story of the blood being cursed began to spread. Oh... Anyone who had possession of the blood and also subpar calves saw negative things happen to them. I don't know what you mean, subpar calves. You mean like... Because uh, of the Peloton. Cause oh, okay. That was a stretch. I'm okay. sorry. I'm very busy texting with Christine from And That's Why We Drink. Focus. Focus. Sorry. The alleged curse, according to legend, is that if... Anyone possesses a sample of King Louis XIV's blood, they will suffer a terrible fate. Many of the people who have claimed to possess the blood over the years have met with misfortune, including illness, financial ruin, and in some cases even death. 
And the unfortunate task of packing up blood every time you move. (laughs) One of the most famous examples of the curse in action is the case of Princess de Lombolet, a close friend of Marie Antoinette. It's said that de Lombolet had a handkerchief that had been dipped in Louis XIV's blood. Lombolet was killed during the revolution. Her body was mutilated and her head was paraded through the streets on a pike. Another story involves the Countess of Orleans, who claims to have a sample of the king's blood. She reportedly kept the blood in a locket, which she wore around her neck at all times. Why, though? That is kind of morbid and weird, isn't it? She suffered a tragic fate. She lost both her husband and her son in the same year in two separate tragic accidents. Then there's the account of the death of Count Henri Chambord. Oh my goodness, you are really getting into the... Well, I grew up in northern Maine. That's true. South Canada. (laughs) Now, Count Henri was the last legitimate heir to the French throne. He was said to possess a vial of Louis XIV's blood, and he reportedly believed that the blood would protect him from harm. It didn't protect Louis. Nope. Chambord died childless, and the French monarchy came to an end. Other examples of the curse include a case of a French nobleman who inherited a sample of the blood and was on a hunting trip and was shot by one of his companions in a hunting accident. There's also the story of a doctor who treated him after his accident. He was given the sample of the blood as a thank you, and then he suffered a serious illness and died almost immediately. such a weird thing to give someone. I know! Especially considering, hey, this might be cursed, but thanks for all your help in the garden this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) On the other hand, there are some people who claim to possess samples of the blood, and nothing bad has happened to them. Well, then we know they're liars. A French historian named Claude Utel claims to have a sample of the blood. He believes that the curse is nothing more than a myth and that the stories of those who have suffered misfortune are simply coincidence, kind of like how a lot of skeptics feel about the uh, curse of Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun. Or James Dean. Or James Dean's Porsche Spider. Another great example. The hot dog car. Critics say it's pretty unlikely that even if there are samples of King Louis XIV's blood, it's unlikely that it would have survived to this day, even if a jar of blood had been collected at the time of Louis XIV's execution, it would have likely deteriorated and decomposed over the years. Yeah, what does blood look like after that long? I mean, is it, does it just, I mean, it would evaporate, like the liquid juiciness, right? Yeah, I would think so, yeah. So then it would just be like chunky, chalky business? I don't know exactly, but I do know this from watching Forensic Files. It's nearly impossible to get rid of all the traces of the blood, regardless of how long it's been. Right. In fact, I remember reading an article about an investigation. It was a paranormal investigation. But it was an investigation at one of the inns in Gettysburg that is still operated as, as an inn. Oh, with the wood floor. Wood floor, and the blood had soaked into the wood floor. You can still see the stain, and they use forensic detection methods to find out not only if it truly was human blood, and they did, but they also found out what type of blood it was, like O negative or something. Wow. Crazy. But despite the lack of scientific evidence to support the legend of the curse of King Louis XIV's blood, the story has endured for centuries. It's a testament to the enduring fascination that people have with the strange and the mysterious, and it speaks to the power of folklore, superstition, 
an urban legend in human culture. I think that we just, on some level, want to believe that this stuff is true. And my thought is, it absolutely is. Of course. It would be really cool if the guy who says he, today, says he has a sample of it, if they were able to somehow extract some DNA and see if there are any ways of determining if it was, in fact, right. Louis the Fourteenth. Although it says that the royal family died out after one, one generation, there must be some way. Get on it, people. <laughs> JG needs to know. My source information, Atlas Obscura and Unsolved Mysteries. One of my favorite sources. Well, you're not stupid. <laughs> I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. 
Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. We're all familiar with Lord Byron, British poet and politician. But how familiar are we with Lord Byron, the student at Cambridge University? When Lord Byron went to Cambridge, he had a burning desire to bring his dog with him to keep him company. Unfortunately, the university had a very strict policy against keeping dogs in the dormitories. And so Lord Byron was left without a furry friend to cuddle with. But did he give up? Oh no. Instead, he came up with a brilliant, or perhaps some people might say insane idea. He decided, since Cambridge specifically said no dogs in the dormitory, to bring a pet bear to live with him instead. That's right, Lord Byron brought a bear to live with him in the dormitory at Cambridge University. Now you're probably wondering how Lord Byron got the bear into the dormitory. It was pretty clever, actually. He smuggled the bear in dressed up as a large, fluffy dog. I mean, who wouldn't be fooled by that? When somebody confronted him about it, he said, it's not a dog, it's a bear. Of course, it didn't take long for the students and faculty members to discover that there was, in fact, a bear living in the dormitory. They were not amused. Got an email from Andrew from across the pond. Just listening to episode 536, where Jethro discusses the London Necropolis Railway. Thought you might be interested in an unusual consequence of the regular funeral train service that concerned the excellent golf course next door to Brookwood Cemetery. London-based golfers quickly realized that the, quote, Stiff's Express, as the service soon became known, was the fastest and most convenient way of getting to and from the golf course. (laughs) As a result, golfers dressed in mourning wear and purported to be acquainted with the deceased frequently made use of the service. How they explained away the requirement to bring a set of golf clubs to a funeral has unfortunately been lost in the mists of time. (laughs) Keep up the great work. Best of luck with your upcoming house move. Kindest regards, Andrew, a listener from across the pond. Um, The mental imagery that that brings up for me (laughs) is delightful. Yeah, I can picture that in my mind. Uh, People dressed in, say, Victorian morning garb, Mm -hmm. sitting on a train in a black ruffled dress with a veil over her face and a set of ping irons. (laughs) We got a message from Jessica. Okay, Here's some reasons why you should move to Virginia Beach. I'm here. (laughs) Number two, the ocean. Number three, all four seasons. Number four, mountains. Number five, colonial ghosts. Number six, weed is legal. Number seven, Chessie, the Chesapeake Bay cryptid. And number eight, we have those teeny tiny crabs that run sideways with their little hands up. All right. Maybe we should rethink our moving plans because that sounds pretty great. Uh, They then sent a meme that they made about why you should love velvet worms. (laughs) Adorable. Love me, JG. I am so happy. Yep. Okay. I'll reconsider my position on that as well. (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. 100% of our listeners surveyed say they listen to podcasts. That's a lot. This is The Box of Oddities. Might you have a story for me? I would be most grateful. Please, sir. I want some more. In 1951, James Christopher Harrison was 14 years old, living in Australia, and he had to have major surgery. They opened up his chest and removed a lung. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, um, as I was researching this, all of that was far too visual in my brain parts yeah. because I've been watching a lot of Chicago Med lately. <laughs> um, so I actually saw a lung transplant the other day. And uh, so I think that really helped me picture what was going on here. Uh, uh, unfortunately, really. Too vividly. Yeah. During his recovery, which kept James in the hospital for months, he had questions about what had gone on, and his father was explaining what had happened. He said that little James had received 14 units of blood, and his father told him that his life had been saved because people, including James's own father, had donated blood. Hmm. James, just a little nugget at the time, seemed to understand the gravity of this situation, oh. and he pledged to give back and donate as soon as he was old enough. Oh. Yeah. So, in 1954, when he turned 18, Harrison, who was quite adverse to needles, actually, donated blood. And when he was able to again, he donated again. And after his first few donations, doctors called him. His blood, they said, could be very special. It was discovered that James had blood that contained unusually strong and persistent antibodies against the DRH group antigen. What's that mean? <laughs> In human talk, I mean. <laughs> well, at this time, literally thousands of babies every year were dying, and doctors didn't know why. This is according to Gemma Falkenmeyer of the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. Women were having numerous miscarriages, and babies were being born with brain damage. In 1939, a mother who had just given birth to a stillborn child needed a blood transfusion, and the ABO blood group system had been discovered almost 40 years previously. And the importance of giving an ABO-compatible blood transfusion had been well-established. However, although the mother was transfused with ABO-compatible blood from her husband, she still experienced an adverse reaction to the transfusion. 
Her blood was found to contain antibodies that agglutinated her husband's RBCs, even though they were ABO compatible. Her immune system attacked this antigen, and the destruction of the fetal RBCs resulted in fetal death. The mother re-encountered the same paternal antigen when she received a blood transfusion from her husband. Just like A is a blood type from ABO blood group, RH factor is a blood type from the Reese's blood group. And around 17 in every 100 people in Australia have a negative blood type. Being RHD negative isn't usually a problem unless you are pregnant and your baby happens to be RHD positive. Basically, Reese's disease is a condition that can occur when a mother who is RH negative, lacks the RH factor protein on the surface of her red blood cells, carries a baby who is RH positive and has that RH protein. What if it's the other way around? What if she's positive and the baby's negative? Oh, I don't know. My goal is to ask as many questions as possible that you can't answer. during this episode. When the mother's immune system detects the RH positive cells in her baby's blood, it may produce antibodies to attack and destroy them. And this can lead to a range of health problems, including anemia, jaundice, and brain damage. Mm. It turns out that some forms of rhesus molecules are found in most life forms, ranging from algae to fish to humans. Even a few kinds of bacteria have RH molecules. Rhesus factor is descended from a molecule called AMT, and AMT is found in every living thing, even archaea, which is possibly the most ancient life form on Earth. Wow. Yeah, so that brings us back to James Harrison. After he donated, the blood bank noticed that there was something special about Harrison's blood, or the plasma, rather. It had strong antibodies against the RHD antigen. Doctors still aren't exactly sure why Harrison has this rare blood type. They think that probably he got a small amount of RH-positive blood when he had his transfusions as a teen. And rather than getting sick from it, his immune system developed the antibodies to fight off the RH-positive invaders, leaving him with a kind of super blood. Wow, that's that's incredible. And the antibodies in his blood were exactly what were needed to make anti-D injections. Without it, the RHD-positive baby could suffer from, as we've talked about, the ill effects of this situation. Now, as you probably know, blood donors can only donate every eight weeks, but a plasma donor can donate much more often. The downside is, instead of taking 10 or 20 minutes to donate a a unit of whole blood, apheresis takes about an hour and a half. But James was happy to continue to donate and switch over to plasma donation in order to help as many people as possible. So, Harrison was one of the founding donors in NSW's RH program, one of the first in the world in 1969. Over time, they figured out how to identify others that had the anti-D antibodies and save more and more babies all over the world. And Harrison kept at it. Over the years, Harrison donated as often as he could, even after his wife of 56 years died. The next week, he kept his appointment to make another donation. He was quoted, It was sad, but life marches on, and we have to continue doing what we do. 
In Australia today, there are 160 donors with the antibodies. And through their donations, the members of NSW's RH program have provided millions of doses and helped prevent thousands of deaths and stillbirths, as well as many more instances of sickness and disability caused by HDN. But Harrison became known as the man with the golden arm. Harrison was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia in June of 1999. In 2011, he was nominated in the New South Wales Local Hero Division at the Australia of the Year Awards. But even more important to James Harrison were the lives that he touched. After working with him for 23 years, one of the employees at the Australian Red Cross Blood Bank in Sydney told Harrison that she was one of the mothers whose child was saved thanks to his oh donations. Oh my God. And by working at that blood bank, she too was paying it forward. Oh, that's wonderful. It gives me the big expandy champagne chest feeling. You might feel that even more when we find out that his own daughter needed the vaccination. Oh, man and was able to give birth to Harrison's healthy grandchild because, yeah. If this isn't made into a movie at some point. Right? You know, I mean, get busy, somebody. Write up a two-page treatment. In 2018, Harrison turned 81, and the rules in Australia dictate that people can only donate through the age of 80. So just before his last birthday on May 11, 2018, he gave his last donation his 1,173rd donation. Wow. Over his 63 years of eligibility, Harrison donated blood or plasma on average about every 2.8 weeks. That's so much blood and plasma that it's estimated the vaccines made from his blood alone saved about 2.4 million babies from HDN. Wow, what a legacy. As he gave his last donation, he was surrounded by mothers holding their babies that had been saved thanks to the antibodies from his blood. Oh, shut up. I don't even care. <laughs> I know. That's the like, dumbest thing. I've got thing. goosebumps. I can't. Dumbest and thing. I've already read it several times. But it, yeah. I'm so angry at him right now. In all the years of donating, Harrison says never once did he watch the needle go into his arm. He said that he cannot stand pain, he hates needles, and he cannot stand the sight of blood. But yet he did it. 1,173 times. That's remarkable. That piqued my interest. And so I looked up who has the Guinness Book of World Records for most uh, blood donated. Is it Mark Nason from Bangor, Maine? No, no, it's not. Okay, because I know that he's donated gallons. According to Guinness, and there is an age restriction on this record, applications for this record title will only be accepted if the applicant is 16 years of age or older. Mm -hmm. The most blood plasma donated is 1,064.568 liters and was achieved by Brett Cooper in Walker, Michigan, USA on September 16th, 2022. And to put that into perspective, that's about 290 gallons-ish. Wow. That would fill up a four-person hot tub. (laughs) Okay. Now, you would need to shower after you got out. Of course. But, uh, yeah, that's quite remarkable. What a wonderful story. Isn't that nice? Thank you for finding that. We need more stories like that today. 
Good God. Our stories were both about blood. That's true. Yeah. In different ways. <laughs> yep. One was a curse and one was a blessing. Aw. I got my information from the tech.org, lifeblood.au, CNN, Medium, and Wikipedia, of course. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. And just a reminder, your regular old blood donation can save up to three lives. So if you can, please do. Nice way to work that in. Thanks. Well done. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Check out uh, the website, theboxofoddities.com, for everything Box of Oddities related. Also, consider joining the Freaks group on Facebook. So much fun goes on over there. Just search Freaks, a Box of Oddities podcast group, and uh, it's pretty easy to get in. But to stay in, you can't be a shitbag. Yeah. We have anti-shitbag... Antigens? Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. They're called moderators, and they're great. Theboxofoddities.com is the website. And again, the Facebook group, Freaks, a Box of Oddities group. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hi i'm neil and i'm ken and we are from the triviality podcast a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world plus tons of extra themed episodes if you want to improve your trivia game or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong then we're the show for you find triviality on all your favorite podcast apps but you know that because you're already listening to a podcast